Welcome back to Stream Again, the TV and streaming podcast where we look at the intersection of business and art, kind of like a frozen corpse in the ice, and we defrost it to uncover the mysteries that determine what you get to watch at home and what we get to watch as we stream as well. We are your hosts, Chris Barlow and Diane Nora, on the case once again as we continue our cozy but gruesome winter mystery tour. Uh, are you up for one last case, old partner? I am. It it feels like the first time. It's almost as if time is a flat circle. Well, you don't say because we have saved perhaps the best for last. I'll leave that as a teaser for our review later because we are talking about the return of True Detective, a once very popular and then very not popular and now... Who's to say? Show on HBO, streaming on Max uh, this season, season four. New showrunner, new cast, new but familiar themes, uh, starring jo- Jodie Foster. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on. It is True Detective: Night Country, and it comes to you later this episode. Uh, but first, we have a lot of news to get to, beginning with some follow-up from you guessed it, our dear friend David Zaslav. It's not the good transition to the Max News, it's the ominous transition to the Max News. Uh, In this case, we're actually talking about Warner Brothers Discovery, the parent company, home of the Looney Tunes. Uh, On point, we love the Looney Tunes. Not the last movie, that was the Space Jam sequel, but generically, we love the Looney Tunes here at Streamageddon, which is why we are crushed, crushed to bring you this scoop from The Wrap, which claims that the the future of the fabled... um, impossible to see a coyote versus acme movie uh, is doomed is like coyote standing over the gulf the air below him he looks down and he is done for and we are all about to look down collectively at the abyss of this delightful looking will forte movie i've seen a still of it will forte as a schlubby little lawyer sitting next to coyote just you know coyote john cena John Cena's in it. The movie has been done for months. It was supposed to come out when Barbie came out. And admittedly, it was probably a good idea to swap in Barbie. No judgment on the Barbie decisions. But uh, this movie just headed for the wood chipper. Uh, We knew about this in the past. It's follow-up because uh, this was some drama last fall. And so Warner Brothers Discovery said, all right, rather than can it for the tax write-off, We'll shop it around. Maybe somebody wants to uh, take it over and and give a warm, loving home to Coyote. Instead, what the rap, and the link is in the show notes, uh, indicates from their sources, is that Warner Brothers Discovery really had zero interest in making that work. And while they did take serious pitches from Paramount, Amazon, major players, Paramount allegedly offered to do a theatrical distribution. It could have been in movie theaters after all. And Warner Brothers Discovery said no to all of them and refused to take counteroffers. So there was no no negotiating. It was a zero zero negotiation game. Give me one offer. No. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why they pretended to let this movie have a shot again. I understand that the press was bad the first time. Artists were very upset about how everything went down when they initially announced that the movie was being scrapped. But why pretend that someone else could have a shot at it when you know that people are, it's going to get out there? Did they really think this story would stay buried? Yeah, it just looks so bad in so many ways. And you have to remind yourself, the sources clearly are people who are upset about this. And so we are (laughs) absolutely getting one side of the story and the other side is declining to comment. But at the same time, some of the details that are not in dispute, apparently, are really negative. It is damning to hear that none of the executives involved in this decision ultimately saw the final cut of the movie, and worst of all, that David Zaslav has seen zero cuts of the movie. And admittedly, he can't see everything they make, but for something that blew up into a public relations relations fiasco with, with his creative partners, with the people he needs to woo in order to convince them to make their movies and be in them, how, how what, why will Will Forte agree to be in another Warner Brothers Discovery project when the last one he was in got thrown in the wood chipper? That's a great point. I also think after this year of strikes, you might think that 
Zaslav is trying to make nice with artists, trying to, you know, turn a new leaf and get some positive relationships. I think this shows uh, he just simply does not care. Yeah. Yeah. I think more evidence that he wants to sell Warner Brothers Discovery for parts. Yeah, or that he just kind of doesn't care about the legacy brands that he so adamantly insisted is part of the narrative of why he wanted this job to begin with. Yeah, it's uh, very depressing. I still think, you know, uh, HBO has enough great leadership like Casey Bloys that people will want to keep working with HBO. But beyond that, I don't know how much artists are going to want to work with Warner Brothers Discovery right now. It's so, so dark and such, it feels like such an unforced series of errors uh, or that they made up their mind and then thought they could uh, weather the PR storm by pretending, uh, which just is is more cynical and more callous and even more upsetting. You know, you take a moment to think maybe they're learning a lesson from this to try to build some bridges and some inroads back in. And then for the final end of the story to be, no, they were pretending. You know, no, they were kind of doing an American psycho on you. That's cool. Yeah, it's a, a bleak and hopefully not a sign of things to come. I love that optimism you forced in at the end there, because some <laughs> people think things are going great. In fact, some people who have the same kind of rarefied air around them as a David Zaslav, I am referring, of course, to the Bob himself, Bob Iger. An on-again, off-again villain of the uh, 2023 streaming narratives as well. But now, Bob is back, baby, because Disney had their earnings reports. And what we find interesting from this is a series of announcements and nuggets that, that in one afternoon seems to have reversed the media narrative around Disney and Bob Iger's leadership. We've gone from doom and gloom, what's going on, no one's in charge, all of the, the franchises are flailing, and suddenly one afternoon later, the stock is up. Everyone seems to be thrilled about a series of random kind of incoherent things that have nothing to do with each other, if you ask my opinion, Diane, and I'm glad you did. I'm glad I did too, because I'm inclined to agree with you that I am less uh, rosy-eyed about these decisions than Wall Street. But let's, let's, backstep and, and yeah. say what they are. Yeah, it's a big bag of shiny baubles. Let's take out the shiny baubles and gawk at them. That seems to be the play here. And honestly, if that's Bob Iger getting back to basics, he's like, the, these investors are children. And if I show them a shiny Taylor Swift bauble, they will just go gaga for that. And why don't we start with Taylor Swift? Sure. Yeah, the Eras Tour movie is going to be streaming on Disney+. Plus. This, to me, makes perfect sense. I imagine it will do very well. Oh, yes. It is coming exclusively to Disney Plus in March, and it will feature five songs that did not appear in the theatrical release. So even if you have seen it repeatedly, you must buy at least one month of Disney Plus to see it again. It is mandatory. I am, imagine there's a lot of overlap between Taylor's existing audience and Disney Plus viewers. But, uh, you know, Taylor seems to have crossover appeal. Sure, why not? Th- this makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and Disney is a brand that knows the value of a rewatchable title, something that your children will watch so many times you see it in your sleep and it makes you scream. Oh, boy. We're going to talk about Moana in a minute, so, you know, it's on I, the top of yep. my head. But, you know, uh, the, the other side of this is how much it cost. Rumor is this is over $75 million for the Eras Tour which is only three episodes of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, so maybe that's a good deal. I don't know. More people will watch the Eras tour in its first month than watched three episodes of uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law in a, in a year. That's my prediction. Uh, I, I will see that prediction and say first week. First week of yeah. the Eras tour. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that is that is shiny bauble number one. People very excited about the news that they'll be able to rewatch the Eras Tour over and over again on Disney+. Plus. Uh, but you know what else Wall Street loves? A shiny password crackdown. And so they also just tossed in that this summer will be the summer of the Disney Plus cr- password crackdown. Get excited. Oh, I, I just can't wait. 
I think this might be the the summer I cancel Disney Plus. I I will admit I finally just ponied up for my own Disney Duo bundle of Disney Plus and Hulu because I know that this password crackdown will utterly obliterate my sister's password sharing Disney Plus situation. I, you know, I I don't want to be a victim or a contributor to that pending looming nightmare. It was lovely while it lasted. It really was. All those all those heads of profiles of people I've never met. I've never felt closer to them. But what else is coming with that password crackdown, you might ask? Well, it's something that Netflix proved works, I guess. The add-a-person fee. Because sure, we're going to do a password crackdown, but if you want to give us more money for your child at college, sure, again, we will happily do that. Your sister-in-law, who won't get her own and will just Venmo you the money because she just doesn't want to make her own account? Fine, fine, fine. Add them. Uh, what will that cost? They won't say yet. This seems like an announcement they maybe rushed to the uh, earnings call. But investors love it. I think because Netflix has already done this, this seems uh, kind of toothless. Yep. You know, it seems like, okay, sure. Yeah, right on, that's, right on par. I guess that's what we do now. Hulu added new terms and conditions language uh, that just more explicitly forbids password sharing uh, earlier this year. It, it's None of this is super surprising. The fact is Netflix uh, proved that the backlash is worth it. Pretty clearly. And actually, speaking of backlashes that were worth it, more news that people seemed to be happy with. The price hikes that came to Disney Plus late last year had an, an, an impact, specifically a negative impact on the number of subscribers to Disney Plus, which was down 1.3 million people. But you know what? They financially came out better off than before the price hike. And so once again, Wall Street was happy. They're happy to lose some subscribers if it makes the streaming business more financially viable, thanks to higher prices and ads. Higher prices and ads. And then a little like a dash of Hulu, which was up 1.2 million subscribers, almost making it a complete wash, which is just so funny that Hulu, once again, just kind of swoops in. I love that for Hulu. I love the language that they used as well about this, about to spin this as a positive that um, streaming losses were slowing. It's yes. not that they're making money yet. Um, it's that they're losing less money. It's great. Amazing news, everyone. And Wall Street could not be happier to lose less money. But all of that is kind of financial shenanigans. There were some content announcements from the earnings call that I found particularly interesting, starting with Moana 2. And you might go, Moana, that's a popular movie. I don't know if you realize how popular Moana is, because Moana was the number one most streamed movie of 2023, according to Nielsen. Moana. On Netflix, though, right? Uh, and it is available on Disney+. Plus. It's not exclusively on Netflix, okay. but it is bolstered by the fact that it is available in multiple locations, for sure. Uh, but it is just, the numbers were wild. The exact digits I have in front of me, 11.6 billion hours viewed. Is that per child? I, I assume per child. <laughs> followed by Encanto, of course. Uh, but the, the, Moana is huge. And there is a live-action Moana remake already announced with Dwayne The Rock Johnson reprising his role, now live, I, 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 or CGI, I, whatever. It's not a cartoon anymore. Whatever Disney means when they say live-action, I don't understand it. But uh, sure, you can picture it somehow. Uh, that's coming in 2025. But in the meantime, we were supposed to get a Moana spin-off series on Disney+. Plus. Think your Mandalorian to the Star Wars universe. We get our Moanalorian to the Moana universe. Uh, except not anymore, because instead that is being retooled as Moana 2, a direct-to-theater sequel coming for Thanksgiving 2024. And there are so many question marks around this because the TV show does, does not have, like Lin-Manuel Miranda attached for music, does not. Does not have most of the original stars or cast because it was supposed to be a streaming spin-off series. Uh, but they seem to think that they can uh, retool it pretty quickly. Nothing gives you more confidence in a piece of art than they're going to retool its initial concept and rush the release. Oh, no. Yeah, to solve their Thanksgiving uh, movie release nightmare situation. Because the, the, the obvious thing people are pointing out here 
And this gets to the theaters a bit, and obviously we are streamageddon, not theater apocalypse. but there has been a bit of a theater apocalypse for Disney and the kind of uh, historically super important for Disney holiday tentpole release window. Last year was Wish. Wish did not light the world on fire. It only grossed $244 million globally. Uh, that, that's a low box office for a Disney uh, animated film. It is admittedly more than double what the Marvels did in the same release window, but I digress. Uh, that was even better, though, than some of their recent outings, like uh, Forbidden Planet. Do you recall Forbidden Planet that grossed less than a hundred million dollars? That is a that is a Marvel's level box office disaster on the Disney scale of box office results. Uh, and so there is this really obvious kind of whiff of desperation to retooling the Moana thing to be a successful uh, box office release. Because how did original Moana do in the box office? Over six hundred and eighty million dollars globally. Even to get close to that would be huge. Oh, yeah. And it may still make money. I think, you know, maybe they'll make it adorable and great. Maybe they'll get Lynn on board. Uh, I doubt it on this timeline, but we'll see. Um, It just seems like they're seeing that the issue is new content and not that the issue is bad movies. Well, and I think it speaks to their pipeline where they may, you know, maybe they do believe in new content and they have some great titles in the pipeline for 2026, 2027, it it speaks to they don't have anything they feel super confident in in the pipeline for 2024, 2025. What they have is Inside Out 2 as their summer 2024 movie, and then they threw together a Moana as their uh, Thanksgiving holiday 2024 movie. It speaks to we don't have anything to move up, so we have to invent something to fill the, the, the gap. That I'm sure is exacerbated by the strikes last year, but clearly runs deeper, because we are talking about a trend that far predates the strikes. One thing that could help Disney with the box office this year is that it's not a great year for movies in general, uh, partially because of strike delays. Um, But so I think that they will have less competition at the box office in November. Having said that, uh, I don't know, good movies make people want to see more good movies. And I'm not sure that that's what they're offering here. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I have to say, they there is a real cold business calculation to this, which is that I'm sure just slapping the name Moana on the side of a movie theater is an instant $300 million plus box office gross, even if it is a disaster. And so I think if the goal is we need to show some improvement over Wish, they will achieve that with minimal effort, even if it is Aladdin Return of Jafar levels of sequel. And as a child, I'm not sure I knew how bad that was. Oh, but as an adult, it hurts. <laughs> but that is not the only kind of baffling, enormous content news that dropped out of Disney's earnings call and, and this week. We also have the vaguest thing in the, the bucket of baubles. Disney announced a $1.5 billion investment in Fortnite maker Epic Games to create a quote-unquote persistent universe involving Disney and Fortnite, which just conjures Mickey with a gun. And if that's what it is, bring it on. Ooh, yeah. Uh, That's a little terrifying, but it could be quite entertaining. It does sound like the sort of thing that I could see, um, like, 13-year-olds getting lost in for many hours. I mean, listen, we just had uh, Fargo, a Disney property featuring murderous characters from The Nightmare Before Christmas. We're on our way. Is this sort of like tangential to the metaverse? Well, the persistent I, universe. I, I think that is the, the phrasing they're trying to get around here. They don't want to use the M word. And so mm-hmm. persistent universe is another way of saying something like that. And what is true, especially amongst the youth, is that where they go to hang out is often places like Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, these persistent online universes. Fortnite 
is a game where you shoot people, but it is also many, many other things. There is Lego Fortnite. Uh, Disney has had Marvel characters and other co-brandings appear throughout uh, Fortnite for years now. So it, it is much bigger than just a game. And if you're not really engaged in that part of the culture, it makes zero sense. The words persistent universe. But yeah, it is something akin to a place where people hang out online. What we olds would call a chat room. <laughs> it is interesting. This shows, I think, um, a play for a different audience than sort of the classic Disney who's got the Moana, the um, Taylor, which is sort of whole family friendly I think this is, seems to be like a preteen teen. Yeah, and it also feels like we're, it could scale to older ages as well, depending on what kind of uh, things you can do. Uh, this is tangential, but a relatively popular video game of the last uh, year of 2023 was Disney's Dreamlight Valley, which is sort of an Animal Crossing style a simulation game where you live in a little Disney town with Disney characters doing Disney tasks for your Disney friends. Uh, and so that's a hangout game, uh, basically. Mm. And I think they're looking for more hangout spaces that are Disney branded, that engage you with Disney properties so they can show you Disney ads and feed into the flywheel. Oh, you love hanging out in the Disney persistent universe? Well, wouldn't you like to do that in the real universe? You can. It's called Disney World. Go. Go. Like, I, I can see it. It makes sense in the flywheel. What do they need to replace? They need to replace the Disney Channel. They need to replace hanging out at your friend's house after school watching Lizzie McGuire. They need to replace going to the mall to go to the Disney store. Those things anchor Disney through a really big, successful period, which happened to be our youths, but uh, was also just like heyday for core Disney in, in many people's nostalgic sense of Disney. And they need to find the new uh, places, be it virtual or real, to replace those parts of the flywheel. Great point. I also think they've got subscribers. Obviously, as we mentioned, they've lost some subscribers. But now that they're relying on ads for part of their revenue, they don't just need subscribers. They need people watching for time. They need yeah. uh, time spent on Disney watching these Disney ads to um, have a good ad rate. So I think in this sense, something like an epic universe where you could spend hours and hours makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It, yes. It, you, more eyes on the content, more ways to get you fed into the content so they can make more money advertising things to you during, before, and after that content. I think a lot of uh, Echo which we enjoyed a lot, but is a, a total sleeper. Nobody is watching Echo. And part of this is Disney is lacking some good on-ramps to get people into Echo. But imagine if in your persistent universe, there was a new week of uh, Kingpin-themed events promoting Echo. You might then check it out. Maybe. M maybe. That's the gambit. And we will find out eventually in the future, because this was the vaguest announcement ever and so clearly indicates that we should not hold our breath for this coming any time in the near future. I would expect years for us to see a product out of this. A $1.5 billion gamble. And a wild one that reminds me of Disney Plus in a key way. Bob Iger uh, put all the marbles in the Disney Plus basket, all the eggs, all the shiny baubles in the Disney Plus basket, and then left and gave it to Bob Chapek, and it was kind of a disaster. And so a Bob Iger came back, and now he's putting all of these marbles, these shiny baubles, into the Metaverse Persistent Universe Fortnite basket. And the product will not launch when Bob Iger is still CEO of Disney. Whatever the succession drama is, odds are he will not be CEO at that point. So once again, he's just making an enormous bet on the future of the company. And he's saying, I will not see this through. Bye. We'll take the outside bet that he just never leaves. <laughs> I mean, that is the other possibility. Absolutely. And why would he leave? There is so much work to do because we have one more uh, big content story from Disney that will magically pivot into an even bigger content story because we have to now talk about the dreaded topic of this podcast. It is not our comfort zone, but we can do it. We're going to talk about sports. <laughs> 
Starting with ESPN, the long-fabled uh, ESPN streaming direct-to-consumer product. Still coming, Bob Iger says, in 2025. Just any day now, in 2025. Hold your breath, man. It's on its way. And he even is still looking for a strategic partner. It could be you. Adam Silver. <laughs> Boy, he's really fishing for somebody. But... That's not the biggest sports content-related streaming story of the last week, because we have to get to what is actually last week's biggest, perhaps, news. I'm going to pitch it to you like this. Diane, what if I told you the greatest minds in streaming from the biggest companies, Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, Disney, Fox, they got into a room together, and they went... Hey, has this ever happened before, where we've brought together the best minds from these three companies to create a streaming product? This is unprecedented. And then, like, an intern in the corner raised their hands and went, or or it's sort of what a Hulu was originally. It's sort of a Hulu. And that is what we got, ladies and gentlemen. Sports Hulu has been announced. Unexpectedly, they just came together and they went, oops, we made a Hulu. A sports Hulu. A sports Hulu. I love Hulu, too. You're correct, Diane. It's just, whoopsie a sports Hulu. It was not on my bingo card for 2024. It should have been, in hindsight, of course. But why? What do you think is happening here? I have some theories. This is, again, Warner Discovery, owners of Max, which has its Bleacher Report sports product trying to launch. Uh, Disney, which owns the ESPN, which is still going to launch its own streaming product in 2025. And then the uh, husk of what once was the Great Fox Empire, which, to be clear, is not the Fox that Disney bought. It's what's left. It is the corpse of Fox, which is a fitting name for what is essentially just a collection of cable channels like Fox News and Fox Sports. And the interesting player there is that Fox has no streaming component right now in this shape, and so they're making no streaming money on their sports, and they do have sports. The other companies have other sports products in the works, so for the three of them to come together as this kind of unholy sports Voltron is makes sense for one of them, and the other two, I am so confused. We think that what's happening is that they knew that they'd have to deal with this eventually, and then over the past year, we've seen the virtual collapse of the regional sports networks. We've seen um, big tech companies like Amazon and YouTube move into the streaming sports world very aggressively and successfully. They're making money. So I think that the race for getting sports on streaming has heated up. And as much as I do think that this is like a big gamble and a bold move, I also think it's very reactionary. Yeah, it is. And there, there is, it's a unique product they're suggesting. To call it Sports Hulu is very true on a surface level and also uh, not at all what you're picturing when you think of Sports Hulu. It is not going to be an on-demand Netflix or Hulu-style service. It is actually a skinny bundle of cable channels that are all sports-dedicated channels. So what you will get in this service, this unnamed service, launching in 2024, they've, they promise. The, this, the real shocker here is they claim they're going to launch it this year. This unnamed, no price, never heard of it before this week service on its way while Disney sits around going, that ESPN service we've been dreaming of for years, we still need at least a year to make it. I, it, it is baffling that they think they can do it so fast until you pick apart what it is. And I think that's the key here because what it is is going to be a way to stream live channels that are part of the cable bundle if you do not have a cable bundle. That's it. And those channels are channels like ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, something called SECN, ACCN. I don't watch enough sports to know what those are, but they, they, they are very niche, dedicated sports channels. And then some broader ones that carry sports, because ABC and Fox are, are slated to be there, and you, that means you will be able to watch other programming live on ABC and Fox, we think. But the key is it's about live sports, so the channels are live. 
from the Warner side, you'll get TNT, TBS, which have a ton of basketball. So all of this is designed to say between these different major networks, we have almost every major U.S. sport. Uh, the stat I heard was roughly 75% of the sports people actually watch, which is, a, I think, a real dig at hockey or something. But the point is, it's a broad spectrum. It is missing two enormous players, though. Uh, Paramount and Universal. Yeah, which is NBC and and CBS. And CBS, I, I would just point out, and Paramount Plus as part of CBS, are carrying a pretty important football game today, February 11th, 2024. And that would not be part of this hypothetical bundle because, again, CBS says, well, we have our own streaming platform for sports. It's called Paramount Plus. And uh, NBC Universal, a division of Comcast, says, well, we have two products for this. One of them's called Peacock, and the other one's called Comcast, the cable bundle. So we don't want to be part of your you know, kind of skinny mini cable bundle for people who won't buy cable. We would rather they buy cable or Peacock. Why not both? I am a little perplexed by the proposed idea that the audience for this new product is not going to be current cable viewers, but is instead going to be um, the never cords, the cord nevers. Cord nevers. This is what Lachlan Murdoch claims. The, the right. uh, I'm going to say he's the Roman of that family. He didn't win really in the show, but I'm going to call Lachlan the, Mo the, the Roman of the uh, real Murdoch empire. He was the, the winner, so to speak, of the uh, succession drama within Fox, but part of that was selling most of Fox Entertainment to Disney. So what he has is just a bunch of cable channels and Fox the Lanier network, and he claims that none of that will be negatively impacted by this new bundle he claims, no, no, the only people who will buy this new bundle are people who never get cable, the cord neverers. And, and sure, that's some of the audience for this bundle. And currently Fox is making no money off those people because they don't have a streaming product. However, Lachlan. I got a text from a listener of this podcast who I won't name because they said not to. But asking me, does this mean that they can cancel their cable? No. I mean, Maybe. we don't know what the price is yet, so who knows? Who knows? Right? Uh, we need a lot more details before we can tell you that, right? But it's fascinating. I, I, I do not think it's just the cord numbers. No, I, you are 100% right about that. And what I do think is the ultimate answer to that question for a lot of sports viewers will be like, well, yes, you can cancel your cable, but you'll have to get this and Peacock and Paramount+. Plus. I just, I think at the end... You know, maybe Lachlan is right that the threat isn't as big because once you explain to your family members and friends how they will need to assemble a series of services in order to watch every NFL game, and that's where they're going to get you is the NFL because that's spread out amongst all of them. That That's when I think that this uh, idea sort of stumbles. However... How they sell it to you and how they pitch it to you is a key component here. And one thing that they've said is uh, all the players, which realistically just means Disney and uh, Max, will be able to offer this as part of their own bundles, which just means we are adding to the bundle confusion that Disney offers. There will be the uh, d the duo with Disney Plus and Hulu, the trio with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus, and then the, like, quadrilateral with Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN Plus and the unnamed sports hybrid product. Okay, I, I get it. The idea is they'll upsell you to it within the existing services you already have. For, for me, for Disney, this makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's a good move. It makes a lot of sense. I, I, I don't understand why they're doing this and ESPN by itself now. I am confused about the dual strategy here. Each one makes sense on its own to me. Agreed. I am wondering if that ESPN thing is still really going to happen if this takes off in a big way. But I'm not sure this will take off in a big way. No, and I guess we should uh, end this part on we're not even sure if this will ever launch because the other part of this is uh, none of the leagues were involved in the creation of this product. And the working theory seems to be that because it's just a repackaging of the existing channels, the players involved, Disney, uh, Warner Brothers, and Fox, 
feel that their existing contracts with the leagues cover this. Whereas the leagues are, are looking at this a little sideways and saying this is a completely different product. And also, you're banding together to share the costs of licensing the sports. That's the other major part of this, is the sports licensing fees are going up, they're getting more expensive, and it's hard to justify the cost of running TNT as a, as a mostly basketball network when it barely makes any money without basketball games airing. And so these, these networks that are really suffering, they need to keep the sports or they will implode. So what if we pooled them together to create a kind of Uber network of, of all our little small networks running their sports, and then we can pool our financial resources for the costs, and we can shift it off our books so it doesn't look as bad to Wall Street. And then when we go back to negotiate our new sports rights, we can kind of make a unified front to the leagues saying, well, listen, you're all going to wind up in the same funnel at the end. So why don't we kind of negotiate together? And that last part would be a nightmare for the NBA or the NFL. The idea that their customers band together and, and suddenly are no longer outbidding each other, but instead kind of saying, well, sure, why don't we let you have the NBA playoffs? It's all going to air on our shared platform. Isn't that a bit risky? Because couldn't they just be like, oh, really? If you don't want to pay our rights? Well, Jeff Bezos does. I mean, that'll be the, the, the question or the showdown. But at the end of the day, I, most of those leagues don't want to go streaming only still. They still want... The, the linear money and and the viewership from that. You know, we've had a couple of streaming exclusive games of note, Peacock being the most notable NFL streaming exclusive game. But but uh, the NFL has said pretty straightforward that they don't foresee a like streaming only Super Bowl any time in the future. I think we'll have one in the next five years. Ooh, I love a spicy prediction. That is a little bit of TV tarot. <laughs> And speaking of things that are mysterious, let's talk about a mystery that airs on HBO and, yes, the Warner Brothers Discovery Max app. It is True Detective Night Country. So before we get into the current fourth season of True Detective, True Detective Night Country, uh, we'll tell you we are going to spoil uh, some of what happens in the first two episodes of the six-episode season currently in progress. Uh, We should say, you know, if True Detective rings a bell uh, and you're wondering, where are we in True Detective? What do I need to know? Uh, Here's how I would describe it. There was a first season of True Detective that you remember because Matthew McConaughey had a crazy mustache, smashed a beer can, and said, time is a flat circle, and sounded like one of those Lincoln ads he does. In fact, it sort of launched that entire phase of his career. And then there were two other seasons of True Detective. You didn't miss anything. And now it's a completely different show that has some DNA it shares with the original True Detective. But it has always been an anthology. Each season has been a standalone story with a new cast. And this season is a new showrunner, a completely new team, essentially. It is a True Detective in spirit, perhaps. But I would argue we're talking about a, a very different show and that's not necessarily a judgment positive or negative it's it feels to me like a true detective inspired production i think that's very accurate and apt yeah thank you i have to say i was not a fan of the inaugural season of true detective which was a huge hit and many critics liked it there are a few holdouts like me um (laughs) And I really did not care for the show. And it's gotten to be one of those things that I don't love talking about season one of True Detective with people because it's not fun to just always yuck someone's yums. You know, like if so many people, it's like they love the performances. They got a ton out of it. I don't want to be like, you're wrong. It's trash, which is how I feel. Um, So I was excited about a fresh take coming into this. Um, And I'm pretty mixed on the show overall so far. We're reviewing two episodes of the six that are the season. It seems wild that they're going to fit a whole season in six episodes. 
Yeah, in reality, I'm a bit further than you, though I am not fully caught up because they are releasing the uh, this Sunday's episode early because of the Super Bowl. So by the time this airs, I'm not caught up. I get, you know don't know where exactly we are, but I will say where I am ahead of you, I am stumped as to how they wrap this up in six episodes. They just seem to be introducing more and more question marks uh, pretty quickly, which, you know, is keeping me interested that is exciting, but I, I will say, like, the pilot, like, where, where we establish this season and who we are and, and what we're following, we don't really get the main mystery until the very, very last moments of the first of six episodes. The entire first episode is sort of setting the scene, and the scene is interesting. This is called Night Country because it's set in a fictional Alaska town that is far enough north that they have a, a stretch of days around, you know, December when it's totally totally dark all day long. Not not all winter like it is in like, you know, Greenland or something, but, you know, for a stretch of days. And so each uh, day within the show kind of gets a subtitle of like day five of darkness. And so it's dark all day. And that creates a spooky environment where spooky things happen. And it's very cold. And it's very remote. And uh, okay, the vibes are there. And I would say the first episode is a lot of vibe setting where we meet our uh, two partners, essentially, uh, Jodie Foster as Liz Danvers and Callie Rice as um, uh, Navarro. Evangeline is her first name, Navarro. Uh, You know, obviously, this is a very grizzled detective show, so it's Danvers and Navarro. Kind of attorney at law vibes, but I I digress. Uh, A lot of meeting them and meeting their very brusque personalities. Uh, And then, oh, by the way, a bunch of scientists at the Mystery Science Station in Alaska all froze to death. I mean, we see sort of what's about to be their murders, I think, in the cold open. Yes. But, But it does take a while till we see our detectives working on the case. Yeah, I I find that the setting is very cool. I think that the idea of having it it during this stretch of night um, creates a great moody atmosphere. I think the cinematography is gorgeous and they really like there's some beautiful shots like out in the icy snow um, of this gorgeous Alaskan skies. At the same time, I think that um, I hardly ever know when I'm watching the show what time of day it is, even with the sort of helpful like day six, day seven um, subtitles that they've put in. And so when we have something that's introduced, like in the second episode, they say, oh, we have 48 hours with these bodies until someone else is going to swoop in and take our case. I had no sense of how far along we were within that time frame, which really could have helped give the show some momentum, some stakes, some energy. And I really just felt like this cold, still vibe that isn't really feeling energized to me. I think that's a really interesting way to to put it, because I can see a positive and a huge negative for what you're describing. And and the positive from, like, let's say a directorial perspective is I, I do feel disoriented by the constant darkness. I, I, I never mm-hmm. know what time of day it is. I don't know how tired people are. Is it the middle of the night? Are, are they pulling an all-nighter or is it just two in the afternoon? And that sense of being disoriented it feels interesting and feels part of the vibe and the setting and the spookiness of the show. But at the same time, I agree 100% with your sense of, I don't know what the stakes or pace of anything is. And I, again, being a little further than you and avoiding spoiling anything beyond uh, episode two, I would just say, it. I don't understand how they are investigating the mystery. Things are happening. They are going places and they are doing things. But I I lack that sense of momentum and I don't really understand a lot of the choices they're making. And part of it is, again, feeling unmoored from where, what what time is it? What's happening? How long do we have? It just kind of feels like something else is happening. Something else is happening. They went over there. They're looking for this thing. They're outside. They're inside. It all feels like it could be happening immediately after each other or a day later, I, 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 yes, I do feel lost in that way. And it's something that 
I would credit them with, again, the weird vibe, the uncomfortable vibe, and that is just upping the difficulty level of the storytelling, though. And so I'm not sure that they are meeting that, you know, kind of double black diamond level difficulty they've set for the, themselves. I agree. I agree. How would you, are you liking the show? You're ahead of me. Are you, are you feeling like I can't wait to see what happens next? That specific vibe? No, I'm liking it. I'm not disliking it, but I don't have any momentum carrying me through to like definitely watch the next thing. I know the next episode will be gorgeous and we'll have some very spooky visuals and some really interesting moments and, and some great acting, some fantastic acting. However, I don't feel a story impetus to like, oh my gosh, tune in live 9 p.m. on HBO. Nah, I'll catch it when I catch it. I agree. I'm also having a hard time with the Jodie Foster character. And this might be a similar issue that I had with the McConaughey character in the first season. Um, She said some things that are that seem pretty racist um, about the indigenous community she lives in. And that is uh awful like her fam she has family members who are indigenous and she's still saying these horrible insensitive things um so i don't find myself really rooting for her um she's giving a great performance but i don't particularly know why she cares and um i'm not moved by her I think that uh, I, I don't need all characters to be likable, but I actively dislike her character. Uh, Callie Reese, on the other hand, as uh, Trooper Navarro, has sort of a classic she's too caught up in the case story, and she's doing great with it, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped up in her. I want her to solve this other murder that seems to be connected to the murder that, of these scientists. Um, but I, I, I don't love Jodie Foster's character here. I agree with everything you're saying and with the hesitation of not wanting to say she's unlikable. I don't like how unlikable she is, but it is a level of like, I don't like how unlikable she is. I can have unlikable protagonists who I enjoy watching and even root for. I think we all can say like, it it has been done well. Breaking Bad is a masterclass in making an extremely unlikable protagonist somebody you root for uh, against all logical sense by the end of it. It can be done. And many shows do it well, sure. I I just also feel off-put by her so much, and uh, not, again, if it was fueling her in this laser-focused investigation that I was like, yes, she's awful, but she's cracking the case. But I do not have that sense. Again, being a little bit ahead of you, I'm like, she's investigating it, she wants to crack it, but I don't have this sense that her unlikability unlocks some superpower in her. She is not a house MD. She's just an asshole. She's an asshole. And I know that I am also sensitive to that because I think that there's a greater burden on female characters for likability. Um, but I also just I, I don't find her particularly driven or fascinating. And it may just be that I haven't watched enough episodes yet. But I do think if you want to bring people into a new show, having something to sink your teeth into about your protagonist, whether they're good or bad, whether you're rooting for or against them, really helps. And I'm just not sure what's there. Yeah, and I I feel like they're waiting to reveal some of the background behind her prejudice uh, Mm -hmm. and that we're going to have a moment that is intended to be, oh, I see, that's why she is the way she is, and it drives her to do things a certain way. Um, But I don't know, that's kind of a gimmick, and it doesn't feel like... Uh, they could come up with a way that that feels worth it to me. Again, can't say until we find out, and maybe they won't even try, but I get the sense that they're going to try to do some reveal about why she is the way she is, and that it's going to somehow speak deeply to the themes of her character. I just, I struggle to think of what will make me satisfied in that reveal, because so far, I just don't have a lot of interest in her character. I have way more interest in almost every other character on the show. And it's not for lack of trying, because Jodie Foster is really interesting to watch. She's a very good actress. Yeah, I'm not, I don't blame her for my issues with it at all. She's, she's great. And um, I'm, I'm, it's always a treat to see her. I just don't think that she's got the best material here. 
No, a lot of it, I, I, again, I remind, I, I don't want to, I don't want to reduce the, the complexity of, you know, creating a show like this uh, or cheapen the amount of work done involved. But a lot of it makes me think of other things I liked better. For example, that, you know, it's really hard in a winter set uh, murder mystery show involving troopers not to immediately think of Fargo. And, and the last season of Fargo was a delight and did... Uh, and Fargo, in recent seasons in particular, has done some surreal things in more interesting ways than I feel like this show is doing its surreal things. There are surreal, mysterious, ghostly-seeming things happening here. Spooky, spooky. And, it, you know, they're intriguing, and they're well shot, and so they are spooky, but also... They feel kind of, you know, like, oh, it's a haunted house show. It's spooky. There might be a ghost. Spooky, spooky. And that's, yeah, okay. But then I think of, wow, you know, Fargo had a whole episode that was essentially one woman's, like, hallucination at a diner. That's surreal in a way more unexpected way. Agreed. Yeah, I, um... Uh, Fiona Shaw is another one of my favorite actresses, and I what think she's doing. What is she doing, doing in the show? Good, she's great she's in the doing show, good work, but like you but see her for like two doing? seconds. Yeah, but, uh, spoiler alert: you don't get a lot more of her in the next episode. I'm just like, wait, oh, she's amazing, and who is she, and why do I care? She's just there to be like spooky old Alaska woman sees her dead husband in the snow. Clues, ghost clues. And that's an Easter egg because he was related to someone from season one. It's like, okay, but uh, what? That was Louisiana. How did he get up to Alaska? I guess folks do, but it just seemed like um, a, a long walk for a small prize. Yeah, and for a show that only has uh, a couple of episodes to wrap it all up and solve not just the mystery of what happened to these scientists who froze in the snow, looking terrified, but also the murder that seemingly instigated all of this years ago, the unsolved murder of Annie Kautok, uh, this local activist woman. And and so, the, and that is the murder you actually care about. You don't really care about the scientists. The more you learn about the scientists, the less you care about what happened to them, except that it, it's an interesting riddle. But... Annie is the, like, oh, you, you, she's the one we're supposed to care about justice for. And, and okay, I do, but we don't have a lot of time to wrap that up in a satisfying way. And I feel so far away from a solution that I, I, I struggle to see how the solution won't feel like a kind of MacGuffin or a deus ex machina or just a surprise. We cracked it at the last minute. We got the clue, the one clue we were waiting for all along. Well, and that for me was the big problem with season one. There were so many like, is it some sort of voodoo cult? Is it some government conspiracy? And then they tell you the real answer to the mystery. And it's the biggest letdown. I, it's the worst TV writing ever. And I, I just, I don't want to put myself through it again for another true detective. I hope this one's different and that they find a way to have a real payoff. Uh, Look at it this way. It'll either be an extremely successful True Detective outing by defying your expectation of True Detective, or it will be even more successful as a True Detective outing by completely fulfilling your negative expectation. And that would be its own kind of praise, given it's a whole new team. We would really be saying, way to ace the assignment, guys. They nailed it. Wow. And we'll find out if they nailed it. And, and if we care enough. We'll come back and tell you how we felt about that. I genuinely yeah. don't know if I'm going to care by the end of this season yet. It's fun to be mid-season and go, I just don't know if I'm going to care. That's only three episodes. I know. I wish I was that way further into something, but whatever. That's how we get there. And if you uh, are having your own feelings about True Detective Night Country or just, you know, any of the True Detectives, pick your detective of choice. This brings us to the end of our cozy winter mystery tour. But did we miss a mystery? Again, help us solve that case by emailing us, podcast at streamageddon.com. We always want your recommendations and thoughts. Next week, we are moving genres. We are uh, moving house, if you will. We're moving in together. We're shacking up with Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Amazon Prime Video. So join us, won't you? And in the meantime, as always, keep keep streaming. streaming.
what we olds would call a chat room.